Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. Shall we pray together? Father God, please open our eyes to see the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurably great power that is available to us who believe, not least because it is the power that gives us salvation so that we can be restored to right relationship with you. And as we approach Romans and find out more about the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, we want to invite you on this journey for you to be a part of it. In fact, for you to be leading us and making it all very real and clear to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we asked the intriguing question, why is the world in such a mess? Because everybody has a perception of the world, everybody has a worldview, and we try to account for the reality that we see around us. But sometimes our worldview doesn't account for reality. And so when we ask that question, why is the world in such a mess? If we believe that man is basically good, then it doesn't account for reality. Because if man is basically good, why is the world in such a mess? Why are things going from bad to worst? And so we said that the reason why the world is in such a mess is because we have excluded and ignored God and replaced Him with other things. Why would we want to do that? Well, because we want to be our own bosses. We don't want to be answerable to somebody else. We don't want someone else telling us what is right and what is wrong. And so we rebel against God and we replace Him with other things. The thing is that God is not indifferent to that rebellion because we don't want a God who is indifferent to injustice and when we do things our own way what invariably happens is it brings pain and suffering to other people and God chooses to do something about it he is not neutral and of course we don't want him to be a God who is neutral towards injustice we want God to take a stand in fact many people even people who don't believe in God Perhaps the, the greatest reason why they don't is because they say, look at all this evil and mess in the world. Surely if there was a God, he would do something about it. And the fact is that God does do something about it, maybe in a more subtle way than we would think. What he does is when we rebel against him, he lets us go our own way and we end up on this spiral of evil and being handed over to the spiral of getting things getting worse and worse in our life and experiencing the consequences of that. It's like a downward spiral of sin. It's, it's like a slippery slope that we can't escape from. Now, perhaps you're beginning to realize and, you, and you're saying to yourself, that's me, Ian. <laughs> I, and I've felt like this before as well, where I just feel like I'm trapped by my sin. I'm on this downward spiral and it's getting worse, but I can't seem to break out of the cycle of sin. Well, then the gospel is music to our ears if we're in that place. Because what Paul says here is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, the good news about Jesus. We ask him, Paul, why are you not ashamed? And he says, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, maybe you believe that you're basically good and you're not really on that downward spiral of sin. 
maybe you've been raised in a Christian family, maybe you're something of a cultural Christian. And so when you compare yourself to other people, you're fine. You're actually a good Christian. You attend church, you tithe your 10%, you don't cheat on your spouse, you provide for your children, you don't lie. And yet, and I think we all go through phases of this, yet you haven't really allowed Jesus in. You haven't really allowed him to take over the control of your life, to sit in the driver's seat of the car, if you like. You, you found a way to acknowledge him and pay lip service to him, maybe so that you can get him on sides, but he isn't really in charge of your life. Or perhaps you're someone who's visiting Harvest today, maybe you've been just today or a few other times, but you're not convinced that you need to be a part of this organized religion kind of thing. Attending church, reading your Bible. Maybe you say, well, I, I've got my own, I'm basically a good person. I've, I've got my own code of conduct. So yeah, I'm not a good Christian, but I'm a good person. I have a good heart. And you're trying your best not to hurt other people, which is commendable. However, Paul has some bad news and of course we often need to hear the bad news because it prepares us for the good news and Paul does have bad news for good people. He wants us to see things for the way that they really are and once we've done that then maybe we'll be prepared to accept God's rescue plan. Maybe then we'll understand why we need to be rescued. So here's the bad news for God's people. For, uh, beg your pardon, for good people. And it's this. God's judgment is three things. It's inescapable. It's righteous in the sense that it is good, fair, and just. And it is impartial. God's judgment is inescapable, righteous, and impartial. So let's read from Romans chapter 2, verse 1 down through to verse 16. And remember, if you're at home, um, just... Pause, the, pause your video and go and fetch a Bible so that you can follow this with me. So, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. 
and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is God's word, and it's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Almost as if Paul's standing up there before a court of law and presenting this complicated legal argument. But let's just have a look at those first few verses. Because when we've slipped into that good Christian mode, or into that good person mode without being religious, there are two characteristics that tend to enter in. Paul describes these so-called good people as you who judge. And he repeats that phrase twice in verses 1 to 4. And then also in verse 1, he, he says he's talking to those who pass judgment. And this is because good Christians and good people, when we slip into that mode, we tend towards pride. In the words of verse 5, we have become hard and impenitent. We have hard and impenitent hearts. It's very easy for our hearts to become hard towards God because we found a way to exclude Him from our lives, either by de denying His existence or by paying Him lip service whilst remaining in charge of our own lives. And then, because we're proud of our own goodness, we're quick to pass judgment on other people. And folks, this is particularly true, I found, in my own life, because I, I, I grew up um, in a Christian household, and for a period of time, I, would, I was what I, what I would refer to as a cultural Christian. God wasn't really in charge of my life, but I was still doing all the Christian stuff. And I was essentially a good person, but that cried pride started to creep in. And, and, you know, maybe you're in that place today. You, you've got your code of conduct. Maybe you're not a, not a Christian as such, but you've got that code of conduct. And you, you're very strong on the fact that you will have integrity in business. But the, 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 the problem is that you start to get judgmental of other people who don't have the same standard. And you want them to be punished. But the problem is that we often use double standards. And this is very important. We're hard on others and we're lenient on ourselves. We judge someone else based on their actions, but we exonerate ourselves based on our intentions. I intended to do that, but I didn't do it, but it's okay because I intended to. And yet, when we look at someone else, we just look at their actions. We don't even have a look at their intentions. And the truth is, if you're honest with yourself, you have failed to meet your own code of conduct, whether it's the one laid down by God or the one that you've developed for yourself. And so if you judge someone else for breaking your standards, why shouldn't you be judged for doing the same thing? And let me tell you, you will. This is what Paul is telling us here. Nobody will escape God's judgment. Folks, we need to leave judgment 
to God. He is the only one who is qualified to pass judgment, whether it's a judgment of punishment or a judgment of reward on other people. And he is going to pass sentence on you. And that's why you need the gospel. Let's move on to the second characteristic that tends to come in when we get into that good person, whether we're religious or not, mode. We can be presumptuous. The truth is that things often go well for genuinely good people. And look, I'm not denying that some people are better than others. There are some people in life who are better than me. There are other people who are not as good as me. And so we assume that because we've been good, that, um, that we're going to escape God's judgment. But the thing is that God's judgment is being stored up for the day of judgment. Have a look. Verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Just because God has decided to delay justice doesn't mean that you are innocent. No way. So what does God's delayed justice actually point to? Just have a look at verse 4. God's delayed justice points to his kindness. It's been mentioned twice. It points to his forbearance and to his patience. God wants to give you a chance to be saved by believing in the gospel. And folks, that's why you haven't been punished yet for those times when you've broken even your own code of conduct, let alone his. It's not because you're a good person. It's because God is a kind God. Folks, judgment day is coming. And we've had a taste of his wrath as he hands us over to greater and greater sin. And some of us have tasted more of it than others. But make no mistake, judgment is coming and none of us will escape it. Judgment is inescapable. That's the first aspect of the bad news that Paul has for us today. What's the second aspect? Notice that Paul describes God's judgment as being righteous. Do you see that in verse 4? In other words, it is good, it is fair, and it is just. And then in verse 5, he states the principle upon which God's righteous judgment is based. Look at it. A big part, and it's not verse 5, it's verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. He will render to each one according to his works. Folks, every human being will be judged by God according to what he or she has or has not done. Let's look firstly at those who will receive eternal life from God. Look at verse 7, it'll be on your screen. And think in terms of three things here. In terms of the goal, what it is that you're seeking. In terms of works, what it is that you're doing. And in terms of the destination, where it is that you're going. First of all, the goal. What should we seek? We should seek glory, honor, and immortality. And that might sound a little bit strange because it sounds self-centered. But what do these things actually mean? When we seek in glory, it means that we're actually seeking 
the glory of God, seeking the presence of God in our lives. Think of that third day song. Show me your glory. Send down your presence. I want to see your face. We are seeking on a daily basis to encounter God. That's the glory that we're seeking. When we're seeking honor, we're, we're actually seeking God's approval. We're trying to please God on a daily basis. And to seek immortality means to seek the unfading, eternal joy of God's presence. So that's what we're seeking. That's the goal. How do we seek these goals? Well, we do it by patience in well-doing. Or as some translations put it, by persistence in doing good. What's the destination of this? If, if that's what we seek and this is what we do, it is the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. This is not to say that we purchase eternal life by our works, but rather that those who are destined for eternal life will show evidence in persistence in doing good by desiring to please God and to seek His presence. So the works that we do are not to earn eternal life, rather they are evidence that we have been set on the path to eternal life. Folks, we will be judged on our works, but not on whether we are in right standing with God. If we're Christians, if we believed in the gospel message. The gospel, as Paul told us earlier, is the righteousness of God. It puts us in right standing with God. The gospel is the power of God to save us. So if you're a Christian, your judgment will involve being rewarded for your good work and being forgiven for everything else. But what's the alternative? And folks, this is unspeakable. It's almost too appalling to consider, but we must. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. They'll be there on your screen. What is the goal of this group? The goal of this group is self-centered rather than God-centered. They do not obey the truth as God defines it, so their work is corrupted and their actions are flawed. And what is their destination? Rather than enjoying the presence of God forever, they are separated from it in a place of wrath and fury. Just think in terms of the handing over to sin that Paul talks about in the last passage. And think of that downward spiral being extended ad infinitum for eternity. Folks, this is not what we want. This is definitely not what we want. Here's what we want. We want glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for the Jew first and also the Greek referring to non-Jews. I don't know about you, but I, I want to enjoy peace on the day of judgment because I'm not an enemy of God and my relationship has been put right with Him long before through the gospel. I want to enjoy the glory of God's presence for eternity. I'm sure you do too. I'm sure you want to hear the Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the kind of honor that we should be seeking. So, Paul has established that God's judgment will be righteous because it is according to works. 
And even though you might consider yourself a good person, if, if you have a heart that is hard towards God and you have excluded him from your life, or if you pay lip service to him whilst doing the same thing, then you will not escape God's judgment and he will judge you according to what you have and have not done. Now, let's look at the last aspect of God's judgment, his impartiality. At this point, Paul starts talking about the law. Now, maybe if you're exploring faith, you're not too sure what we're talking about. Well, he's referring to the law that God gave to the people of Israel through a person called Moses. And so it's called often the Mosaic law. God gave it to the people of Israel through Moses. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. I'm sure most people have. These are sort of like a summary of the Mosaic law. Now, Jewish people thought that because they had been chosen by God and because they had the law, that God would treat them with partiality, that he would favor them over the Gentiles. But this was not the case because Paul writes in verse 11, For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Why did having the law not put the Jew in a place of privilege? Well, verse 13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. In other words, if you want to be justified on the day of judgment according to the law, it isn't enough simply to know the law. You have to obey it as well. And as we shall see later on in Romans, you'll only be justified by the law if you have obeyed it perfectly without one failure over your entire life. And that's impossible. That's where the gospel message comes in, but we'll leave that for another time. So the Jews were not in a favored position simply because they knew the law. Now let's apply that to today. The fact that you might be a cultural Christian, the fact that you know your Bible, the fact that you're pretty good on discerning what is right and what is wrong, that is not going to attract the favor of God on the day of judgment. Just like the Jews that wanted to be justified on the day of judgment, you will have to obey the Bible perfectly without one failure over your entire life. But what about the Gentiles that had never heard the law? Or in our context, what about the so-called good person who has rejected God and religion? Look at verse 14. Someone who has never had the law still understands right and wrong because God has given him a conscience. His conscience may not discern God's way perfectly, but it discerns enough for him to be judged. And that's why, I'm sure you've noticed this, in every culture there is some overlap in the concept of what is good and what is evil. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, every culture, for example, recognizes that murder and theft are wrong and that love is superior to selfishness. It's because God has given us a conscience. He has written the basics of what is right and what is wrong on our hearts. Now, here's the thing. It's not having a code of conduct that will give you preferential treatment with God. It's whether you have obeyed your own code of conduct without one failure 
over your entire life. Can you see the difference then? The, the, the cultural Christian thinks that he's going to get preferential treatment because he knows the Bible. But that's not enough. Knowing the Bible isn't enough. You would have had to have been obedient to the Bible without one single fail over your entire lifetime. And that's not happened. You won't be put right on the basis of having the Bible and knowing the Bible. It won't give you preferential treatment. And if you're a person who is, is a good person but is not a good Christian, um, it's going to be the same for you. You have this code of conduct. When you get to heaven, God is going to say, well, here's the code of conduct that you had for yourself. Did you obey it 100% all the time throughout your entire life? And of course, you haven't. So all of us are going to be condemned, whether it's on the basis of the law that we have or on the basis of the code of conduct that we have, unless we are saved by the good news of the gospel. God is impartial. Whether you know the law or the Bible, or whether you have your own code of conduct informed by the conscience that God has given you. And so just in conclusion today, I would challenge you if you're in that place, maybe you've slipped into that place where you think that God is going to let you off a whole lot of stuff um, simply because you're a good Christian. That's not the basis on which we are going to be led off. We are going to be led off on the basis of what Christ did for us on the cross. And if we believed that Christ took our punishment on the cross and that he was raised so that we can be raised to new life, then the change that that brings in us is a heart and a desire for God to be in charge and for us to be working for him throughout our lives. And if you fall in that other category where you have your own code of conduct, just recognize that you're not going to be put right with God on the basis of that code of conduct either. The only way that we can be put right with God is on the basis of faith. Faith in what Christ did for us on the cross. Turning away from our sinful lives and turning towards God and asking Him to take charge of our lives. And I hope that this is good news for you because it is. <laughs> It will help you to break out from that downward spiral of sin in your lives or what we've been talking about today, that, that impenitent, hard heart that is hardened towards God. Oh, that God would take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Shall we pray? Father God, it's been, it's been tough to hear the bad news today. But of course, we need to know the bad news so that we can fully embrace the good news. And I pray that for every person who's been here today, um, that, that they would embrace the good news, that every one of us would embrace the good news, that we would take delight in the good news, that it's all been done by Christ on the cross for us. And so we just continue to, to submit our lives to you. We we continue to walk this journey at whatever stage we're at. And we pray that you would lead us into closer and closer relationship with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for signing in. And we look forward to spending time with you again in the near future. Goodbye for now.